talk about our topic for the month, Pass It On. And I specifically want to talk about one of the great callings that we have, and that is the Great Commission. We have the Great Commandment, the Great Collaboration, and we have the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the last instruction that Jesus gave to us before He decided to ascend into heaven and then He allowed His Holy Spirit to come down upon us in order that we might all have a piece of the pie, we might all have Christ within us. And He gave us these last instructions. So we're gonna read them here this morning and it's in Matthew 28. You can find different versions in some of the other different uh, Gospels, but this is probably the most complete version that we, that, that we know of. And it says this, then the 11, why not the 12? Because Judas had already betrayed Jesus and he had killed himself. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When I'm reading this scripture, there are three different words that jumped out to me very specifically that I find very interesting that they're there, right? We, with the, we often usually just focus on the go and make disciples of all nations and baptizing and all that stuff. And that's, that's all very good, right? We've probably talked about that a lot. But there's several other words that have been mentioned in the scripture that really jump out to me and, 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 and are, I think create a different and a, an interesting context to what was going on here. And the first word that jumps out to me is this, that when the 11 disciples met Jesus, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now I find this fascinating, right? This is the 12, the 11, sorry, who actually walked with Jesus for three and a half years, saw him do miracles, saw him heal people, saw him speak like he was God because they believed that he was God. They saw him do things in people's lives that they had never seen before, feeding 5,000, feeding 4,000, just with a few fish and a few loaves. I mean, the miracles that happened, they saw him walk on the, on the water. The amazing things that they discovered, they literally seen him die on a cross, be murdered, crucified, killed on a cross. And then later on, he reveals himself to them for 40 days. He's showing himself going, here's the holes in my hands. When I was crucified, I'm really Jesus. And their minds are blown and still they doubt it. Has anyone ever been in that place? You've seen God move in your life. You have seen amazing things happen, but still you doubt right? This is, this is something that really happened. But what I find really interesting with this is that Jesus didn't go, are you guys doubting again? What on earth do I have to do to prove myself? Do we need to get a choir of angels here? Do we need more evidence? Haven't I given you more evidence? No, Jesus didn't even give any time or space to their doubt. No, even Matthew decided to focus on the, 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 the time to talk about their doubt. He just mentioned, but some doubted. I think there are many of us that go through this, that we've seen God move in our lives, we've seen amazing miracles happen in our lives, but we still sometimes doubt. The credit that I give to the disciples is that they worshiped Him, even though they doubted. Why? Because they looked at it and went, I don't have any plan B. 
There are many of us really that have decided to trust God, not because we completely understand it or we completely get it or we're really sure what's going on. It's simply down to this. I don't have anything else to bring to the table. I've got no better option here. I could try and trust in evolution. I could try and trust in another God. I investigated it. Nothing cannot come from, something cannot come from nothing. Only all of this can come from a God and I see the evidence of who Christ is. So I'm gonna go with Christ. That's what they said. I have no plan B. You're my only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm gonna go with you. And yet Jesus decided to send them out, the doubters. He decided to go, hey, I know you're doubting, still sending you out. Right? Jesus sent out incomplete doubting disciples. Why? Because maturity and power and boldness only comes in the going. If you're not doing it, you can't have it. Sounds like the old spice commercial, right? If you don't have it, then you can't be it. You don't do it, you can't have it. If you're looking for an internal confidence and boldness and peace and joy in Jesus Christ, you've got to get out there and do whatever it is that he's told you to do. Why? Because sometimes many of us are saying, Jesus, I just want to know you. I want to get close to you. I want to be by you. And he's way out in the field saying, I'm out here. I'm out here on the field. If you wanna spend time with me, come on out in the field because the harvest is ripe. But so many, so few of you don't want to come out. The laborers are few. I'm out here if you want to spend time with me and see more about who I am. You want to know more of Jesus? Go do what he told you to do. You're looking for more evidence? You'll not find it in books. You'll not find it in science. You'll not find it in intellectuality. You'll find it in his presence. And his presence isn't just in your home helping you, helping to stroke your head as you're doing your quiet time with him. He's out in the field and he goes, you wanna see another side of me? Come out and see how I dig the field. Come out and see how I tend the vines. Come out and see what I do in people's lives. Get out there and be with Jesus in the fields. In the fields. It's in the field that you want the Jesus that you're desiring. Not the kumbaya Jesus, but the Jesus that has calluses on his hands and are digging the field and goes, you want a piece of this? You're gonna have to come and be with me where I am. Not me, come to where you are, come to where I am. For those that are waiting for your fears and your doubts to be removed before you act to obey Christ, it's not going to happen. Jesus is not moved by the sympathy of our fears or our doubts. He's moved by faith. He recognizes you might have doubt, but he's not moved by it. He's moved by faith. He's moved by obedience to what he has told us to do. He sent out prostitutes. He sent out tax collectors. He sent out Roman centurions and lepers and adulterers and slaves and the hated Samaritans. There's no Bible college or probation period. We just have to trust him and obey him. That's it. That's all it takes. The second word that I see that jumps out to me in this scripture is this. It says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. That's a big, bold statement to make, right? He's saying the father has given me authority and the devil has ceded me authority as well. And I want to establish something here right now. Most of us believe that God created the earth. But sometimes we act like he doesn't own the earth. 
Who owns the earth? Who owns this world today? Who owns this world today in your life? Who owns everything that's going on? There's three possible answers to this. The first one is this, that God had created the world, so therefore he owns the world. In Psalm 24, 1, 2, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Thank you, God, that you created this world. You own this world because you created this world, but actually we're not sure if he owns it anymore. Why? Because the second possible answer is that the devil owns the world because he corrupted the world. If God created the world, the devil corrupted the world. We know from the beginning with Adam and Eve, he corrupted the world. And even Jesus recognized this when he was speaking to his disciples. He said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. The ruler of this world is coming. The devil owns this world. Listen, even Jesus acknowledged that Satan has power in this world. We get it, he does. But many of us are still grieving his power in this world. We're so sad about the injustice. We're so sad about war. We're so sad about hate and sad about brokenness. brokenness. It doesn't mean it shouldn't move our hearts. But as soon as we decide that he's in charge of this world, we have lost we start having fear come upon us and why would we go into the world if we think that he owns the world? But then there are those who say this, it's not that just God created the world, it's not just that the devil corrupted the world, but Jesus conquered the world. And he said this before he even went to the cross. Look at this in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you're gonna have trouble. Come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. BS, come to Jesus, all your problems are about to begin. Why? Because you took a side and you decided to say no to the enemy. You decided to say no to sin. You decided to say no to rebellion and you said yes to Christ. And he said, you're gonna have trouble. I can't believe all these things are happening in my life. Why are things falling apart in my life? Why is the devil coming against me? Because you decided to swap teams and go on Jesus' team. You're gonna have trouble, but take heart, he said. I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Wow, if that's true, is it true for you? Do you actually believe this? Do you live like it? Many of us still act like we don't really believe this is true. We don't believe that Jesus has really conquered the world. But Jesus said this, as we just read, he came to the 11 disciples and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The question I've got for you today is do you actually believe this? I was having a conversation with someone from a different place, don't come to our church, doesn't live in our country. And he was telling me about the difficult things he was going through. He's got a young family, he's got a very good job, but he really thinks that there's more for himself and he wants to do better and he wants to, and he lives in a very dangerous country and he wants to do better for himself. And he was worried about if he tries to go to another job, maybe the job won't work out and the job that he did have, he'll lose it. And what's he gonna do if he has to try and go back to that job? And I said, listen, I got a few questions for you. Do you think that there are only so many jobs that are available for you? And he goes, um, well, 
Well, no, I'm sure there's more jobs than I realized. I said, so you believe that there is more for you, that, that you don't have to worry about losing this job that you're in? He goes, yeah, there's, there's probably plenty other jobs in there. And I, go, and I said, okay, but do you think that God has a plan for your life? Do, do you believe he has a purpose? you believe you're made on purpose for a purpose? Do you believe you have, you have a, he has a plan for your life? And he goes, yeah, I suppose he does. He does have a plan for my life. Great. Do you think that God has the power to bless you? And he said, yes. I believe he has the power to bless me. And I said, then do you spend time with that God that has the power to bless you? And he said, probably not as much as I should do. And I said, then no wonder you don't believe that God is more powerful than everything else on the earth. No wonder you don't believe that you don't, you're not sure if there's gonna be a good enough job out there. Why? Because you're by yourself. You're not with the one who's all powerful. You're not with the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. No wonder you're scared of the world. When I was about 10 or 11 years old, there's, a, there's, a, there's an Air Force base not far from my dad's church, about maybe 10 miles away from my dad's church. And when I was a kid, we'd always see these fighter jets going above us, just flying about all over above us. And I remember this young American family that used to come to our church and he was a fighter pilot from America because <clears throat> the Americans used to also station themselves out of this RAF base called RAF Lukers. And I'll never forget this man. His name was Major Peter Samuel Hook, Peter Hook, and he was in the United States Air Force. And that one Sunday, he came up to me and he goes, hey son, there's an air show next week. Would you like to come and see the air show? And I said, I would love to come and see the air show. So I got my friend invited too and we both went to see the air show and, and we went over and we stayed in the night at his house before the air show. And I, I remember that specific night because he had a barbecue and he goes, son, let me show you what a high tower is. I don't know what high tower is, but supposedly what Americans do is they make a hamburger, but they're not satisfied with a piece of meat just between the two buns. They've got to put everything under the sun between those two buns. Is anyone with me on that one? Right, so big you can't get your mouth around it. Ah, 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 can't get your mouth on it at all because it's just too much of a big and he calls it the high tower. And I'll never forget, I wanna go to America someday and get a real high tower. And so the next day we get up and we're dressed and he's in his, um, his, his flight suit. And he goes, all right, let's walk there. And I'm like, walk there? Seems like it's miles away. So we're, we're running behind him like we're little ducklings behind him. And he's you know, making big strides, going to the Air Force Base. And as we come up to the big gates, there's these guards right there at the front gate. And he doesn't stop to show any ID. He doesn't shot, stop to even greet them or to do anything with them or to try and convince them to let me to come into the Air Force Base. He just walks right in because they come to attention and they give him a salute and he gives the little pistol salute like that and he walks all the way in and I follow him in. Then I'm in and I'm like, I am on RAF Lukers Air Force Base. How cool is this? And then we get into... We're walking all the way down and it's a little bit further to try and get to the room where all the fighter pilots are. And we're walking down and every time we pass someone with uniform and they stop and they take a salute and they give him recognition and they give him attention. They follow his lead. They see where he is and he doesn't stop. He just keeps walking and everyone's saluting him. Then we get into the room where all the fighter pilots are and all these fighter pilots, they stand up as he walks in and they give him attention. He goes at ease and they all sit down. And I'm sitting there going, this is awesome. I get to go anywhere with this guy. 
Then he goes, okay, son, let's go see the aircraft. So we go out into the, into the paddock, into the field where the aircraft is. And of course, you can't just go there. Not just anybody can go there. And I remember going all the way up to it and I literally get to touch this thing. This is the stuff that I'd seen from afar. I get to be right by this powerful machine that could kill a whole village or something. I mean, this, it could take down any enemy. And I'm just so in awe over this thing. I didn't get into the Air Force base. I didn't get to sit with the people on the front line. I didn't just get to see the aircraft because of who I am. I got to be there because of Peter Hook. I got to be because of who he is. This is why we have the power and the authority to go into all the world and preach the good news, not because of who we are, but because of the one that we are following who has all power under heaven and on earth to overcome this world. That's what we do. We follow that man. We follow that one. Many of us are going into the world and we're just hoping that the devil doesn't take us down through temptation. I'll try and control my mouth. I'll try and control my sins. I'll try and control my actions. This is not about you controlling things. This is about you submitting to the one who has all power. And in our submission to the one that has all power, we get to walk through the enemy lines. We get to walk through into areas that are restricted to us because we are following the one who has all power. We don't call people to justice. We call people to Jesus. Why? Because we've got all power. We don't say no justice, no peace. We say no mercy, no peace. Because the one who has all power has the right to judge us all. The third word I see in the scripture that really jumps out to me is this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now usually this verse gets quoted by itself. Therefore, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That's what the, usually is the quote that we usually go about saying. But my father used to always say, whenever you see a therefore, you have to read the sentence before to see what the therefore is there for. Right? That's what he used to always say. Read the sentence before it. And when you read that sentence and you understand that sentence, now you start to understand what it is that he's trying to get us to do. Everything hinges on the power of this one word. The ability of the second half is dependent on the first half and it's pivoting on this little word here saying, therefore, and if you don't believe Christ has all authority, you're not going to go. If you don't choose to decide that that's true, you're not going to go because you're going to go as a chicken. You're not going to go as the power chicken. Why am I talking about chicken? I'm getting hungry. But what happens if we don't go? What happens if we don't decide to go? Because there's an option here. We could just decide, you know what? Maybe I don't know if God has got all power. Maybe I don't know if I trust that. Maybe I won't go. You're very free to do it. But let me tell you the consequences of not going. George Barna, the George Barna group is the largest polling group in America. And they did a study last year and the year before. And they came up with 21, 2021 stats. In 2020, there was around 4,000 4, churches that closed. That's a lot of churches, right? Between 2020 and 2021, around 20,000 pastors left the ministry. At the beginning of last year that they discovered was 29% of the pastors that are left are now deciding 
to leave the ministry as well. At the end of 2021, 38% decided that they think they're going to leave the ministry. Does it look like the church is dying? Does it look like the church is failing in frailty? Does it look like we're actually backing away? I actually have a different thought about this. I believe if you don't go, God's going to scatter you to go. If you're watching me online right now, wherever you are, if you don't go from where you are right now, God will scatter you out if you call yourself a son or a daughter of the Most High. Do you know that this happened in the first church of the book of Acts? Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all nations. That's what he told them. And so they got together, the Holy Spirit came and it says that thousands started joining them and they were giving and receiving generously. Generosity exploded amongst them. People were selling houses and fields and giving it to the community. And this power and the Spirit of God was just growing and the Word of God was amazing. And people were going, this is insane. This is the greatest place we've ever seen. This is the greatest thing we have ever seen. And God went, yeah, but that's not what I called you to do. I called you to gather, to grow, and then to go. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. It says, on that day, which was months later, it says, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That was God's goal all along. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. I don't believe in that devil stuff. I don't believe in, the, in, the, in healing people and I don't believe in deliverance of demons. I don't care if you believe it or not. Have as many doubts as you want. It's not up to you whether someone gets delivered or not. It's only up to you to go and tell them about Jesus. Jesus will take care of the rest of the stuff that has to happen in their lives. The going is what He's instructed us to do. We have to go. Will we be the church that is gather, grow and go? Or will we be the church that will be gather, grow and scatter? I don't wanna be scatter. I wanna go. In obedience. Listen, I believe there's a shaking in the church. Not just this church. Right across America, right across America, right across the world. There's a shaking in the church. Sin is being exposed. Sleepiness and laziness is being woken up. A fearsome Christ with all power is rattling his sword because Jesus has conquered the world and we have to act like it. My question to you this morning is, does Jesus have all power in your life? See, he said, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. The question is, have you decided that you're now under all power? Are you going to be entirely under his direction? I don't care what's happened to you. I don't care what's come your way. It's surely not as bad as what these guys went through who were crucified for their faith who were chased out of town, who were stoned, who were burned, who were dipped in boiling oil, who were, who, were, who were racked over coals, who were beaten and destroyed. And still they said, I will not stop going because my master told me to go. You know whose power you fear when they're not there around you. And you don't think Jesus is close to you. It's easy to think it doesn't really matter what I do. 
It does matter what you do. I remember as a child, I remember as a child when a group of my friends were doing something naughty and I remember being embarrassed by what was happening and they said, why don't you do it as well? And I remember saying, I can't do it because my dad said he shouldn't do this. And I remember it affecting me so deeply that I felt embarrassed and I felt shunned by my friends. I can't do this because my dad doesn't want me to do it. Who you are without seeing the presence of God in your life is what determines who you really are. Are you a son or a daughter of the Most High? If you are, you have to follow his instructions. You have to do what he's called you to do because you know who you really are when you don't see him about. You know who you really are when you're doubting. You know who you really are when you're going through trouble. You don't have to have the evidence of God in front of you all the time to give you the confidence. You need to just obey what he's called you to do and get out there and do what it is because when he comes back, he's going to say good and faithful servant. Or he's gonna say, what were you doing? Yeah, but you weren't around. I wasn't confident. I didn't have boldness. I felt doubt and fear. What were you doing? I already told you what to do. You should have done what I told you to do. Let's be the church that goes and doesn't scatter. Some of you, I think, need to repent this morning. <clears throat> repent means to change your mind and therefore change your ways. Some of you know fine well that something has not clicked inside of yourself. You realize the fear you have, but maybe you now need to say, forget my fear, forget my doubt. Let me throw myself all the way into this to believe that he has all power. If that's you this morning, I'm gonna allow you to be put into a position where you're gonna to have to publicly show that you are in repentance, right? Oh, that's too embarrassing for me. If you think that's embarrassing, imagine the things that God will allow to come your way when you do start to obey him. But when you know fine well when you're in favor with God, you don't care what shame is thrown your way because you're standing for the one who has all power. So if you want to publicly repent right now, I want you to stand. Not everybody's gonna stand, but if you think that you need to repent right now, I want you to stand. Don't stand because you want to join the circle. If you don't feel this urge within yourself, don't jump on board, that's okay. I'm not saying you're a sinner and you're gonna to go to hell. That's up between you and God, right? But if you know you're in a position, you're like, I have to do something. I've got to start standing up for the one who stood up for me. He has all power. And I want to fear him once again. Now's your time. I'm giving two more seconds if you think you should be standing, but you're too worried about it. I want you to repeat after me, Father in heaven, I ask you to forgive me for trying to control my life. I want to, I want to ask that you will forgive me that I've done things my own way. Father, I want to feel the fear of Jesus. Not that he's trying to scare me, but that he is a fearsome God. I commit myself today to submit myself to him. I submit myself to his call. I submit myself to his ways. I pray, Father, you would break the devil's back in my life. You forgive my sin. And you help me to be about the business 
of your son. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person who's standing here this morning who feels this conviction in their heart. They feel the conviction that they've got to go do what you have told them to do. And I pray that this conviction would not wane. They would not get watered down. It would not fade with a memory, but it would burn like a fire within themselves. That they want to have purpose in their lives today. They don't want to just die being the one who was able to pay their bills and they were able to survive in this life, but they were able to burn up their life for something greater than themselves. And that's to tell someone else about how good you are and how you have changed their lives. We will not lie down. We will not sit down. We will not let back. We will not give up. We will press in. We will stand up. We will shout out and we'll say, mercy, oh God. Mercy, oh God. Mercy, oh God, upon us and upon those that you send us to. I pray for supernatural doors to open up for every one of you that you will have amazing conversations with people and a boldness will rise up within you not to condemn them, but to tell them how much God loves them and that He wants to give mercy to them. May the supernatural power of Jesus Christ come through your mouth in the name of Jesus. And for everyone else that's here, Father, I just pray that you fill them up with your spirit. This very day, we ask in your precious Son's name, May God bless you and keep you and make His face shine.